Hey there, friends. Welcome back to another episode of the Bible and Life podcast. My name is John Whitaker, and I'm glad you're joining me here on the Bible and Life. If you're a regular listener of the Bible and Life podcast, man, welcome. I am so grateful for you. I'm glad you're part of the Bible and Life family. If you're a first-time listener or a new listener to the podcast, uh, I'm glad you're here, and I pray it helps you as you seek to not only understand the text of Scripture, but really to follow Jesus in the midst of your everyday life. And that's really the heart of uh, this podcast is to provide what I like to call blue jeans theology, by which I mean theology that's really connected to everyday life, that's rooted in everyday life, that's set down in the midst of everyday life. It's in the language of everyday life to help you and I follow Jesus in the midst of our everyday life. To me, that's the way theology is always meant to be done. We should dig into the text, wrestle with the text, but then we got to come back out and say, so what? What difference does it make? And how does it help us live as disciples of Jesus? And so that's the goal. That's the heart of the Bible and life. And so once again, I am grateful that you're joining me here on this podcast. And before we jump into the subject of today's episode, last week's episode, I talked about Paul's joy and some of the themes that show up in the book of Philippians and how can Paul have joy in the midst of his imprisonment and what does it mean to participate in the gospel. So I talked a lot about some of the big themes of Philippians. Since that episode has been released, a short article uh, giving a whole overview of Philippians backstory and overview of all of the content uh, has been published at renew.org. And so I'll put a link to that down in the notes in this one, and I'll update last week's episode with uh, a, a link to that article as well. So if you want to really dig in and study Philippians and you would like some help with kind of how the book is arranged and what the story behind the book is, uh, that little article, that's exactly what it is designed to do. So link to that down in the notes below, as well as in last week's episode show notes as well. All right, let's jump into the topic for today. Sometimes passages of scripture can become so familiar and so well known to us that we kind of just assume we know what they're about or uh, we've applied them to our life in a certain way for so long, or we've kind of heard them so many times that we just kind of have this, oh yeah, I know what that's about. And that familiarity can actually cause us maybe even to miss the intended purpose of the passage, or maybe miss a deeper sense of what that passage is saying. And so the text I want to look at today is a passage like that. It's a super well-known passage among Christians, oftentimes quoted as a concise summary of what Jesus did to achieve salvation, and yet I actually think it has a deeper, richer, more profound point than just sort of that face value, oh yeah, that's what that means sort of approach to it. The passage is found in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I've actually been spending a lot of time in 2 Corinthians lately, wrestling with it, digging into it, working through it, writing on it uh, as I prepare to release a volume uh, through 2 Corinthians on the listener's commentary next year. And so spending a lot of time in both 1 and 2 Corinthians lately, um, which is part of the reason why you've seen episodes in here on 2 Corinthians, just some of my reflections and things I'm studying and thinking about and applying to my own life. And so 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 is a passage that is really well known. And yet I think that familiarity 
maybe has caused us to miss the full sense of what Paul is actually saying. So 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians, sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And this sounds like such a concise summary of the great exchange that happened through Christ's sacrifice on the cross that many of us, maybe most of us, have simply read it that way. Um, That this is about what happened when Jesus died. That Jesus, who knew no sin, took our sin on him on the cross so that as a result of that, we now could be deemed righteous uh, in him. And obviously... The scripture teaches that there is a great exchange that happened on the cross, right? That uh, Jesus' death on the, I mean, Jesus was sinless. Uh, Jesus' death on the cross uh, dealt with our sins fully and finally provided atonement. Um, And so, obviously, that's true, right? Like, to take it that way is true theologically. It's true in what the New Testament teaches. It's just in this immediate context in 2 Corinthians, I I think it's saying maybe maybe not less than that. It's actually saying something more specific than that, something I think more profound than that, something deeper than that that we need to hear. Um, and how we should see that is we need to start with the immediate context. Whenever studying scripture, right, context is king. So we want to uh, look at the immediate context. And so even just the immediate context of uh, verse 20 where Paul writes about himself and his ministry team. That's who he's talking about, himself and his ministry team. He says this, Therefore, we, Paul plus his ministry team, Timothy, Titus, and some of the others that are involved in his ministry at the present time, therefore, he says, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And so the immediate verse before this well-known verse in verse 21 is about Paul's ministry and how he views his ministry, that he and his team are like ambassadors, official representatives of Jesus. And it's through them that God is appealing to people all over the Roman empires and through them that specifically in this situation, he's appealing even to the Corinthians, we beg you, be reconciled to God. In fact, if you go into the next chapter, which the first two verses really are kind of wrapping up what he's been saying in uh, the end of chapter five, he says this, and working together with him, like as his ambassadors and his representatives working together with him, we urge you, um, this is beg, this is appeal. That's that same language we saw in verse 20 of chapter five. We urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, at a favorable time, I listened to you on the day of salvation. I helped you. Behold, now is a favorable time Now is the day of salvation. And so he's appealing to the Corinthians there as his role as an ambassador. So this is about Paul's ministry. That's the first thing that should tip us off that verse 21 is maybe about more than just what uh, initially we might think it's about. Like the great exchange that provided our salvation. And it's not just that verse 20 and even... Verses uh, 1 and 2 of chapter 6 are about Paul's ministry. The entire context um, in the paragraphs right before this is about Paul's ministry. And um, in 
all the way back into chapter four is about Paul's ministry. I mean, he, this is what he's talking about. And the reason for that is because of the story behind the book of 2 Corinthians. Uh, between 1 and 2 Corinthians, the relationship between Paul and the Corinthians went from bad to worse. Things got really sour. Paul actually traveled from Ephesus to Corinth to visit to try to deal with some of the problems in the church. And, and that, uh, that visit went actually south. And Paul ended up sailing back to Ephesus, sort of with his tail between his legs and being shamed and dishonored publicly by the some of the people in the Corinthian church, and it didn't go well. So Paul, at that point, resolved, look, I'm not coming back your way until we can sort some of this stuff out. I don't think that's good for you. I don't think it's good for me and my team. So he actually sent them uh, what he calls a sorrowful letter, and he had some doubts about, oh, should have I sent that? Should have I not? You know how that goes. You, you you send a text or you send an email, and after you hit send, you're beginning to wonder, I wonder how that's going to go. Maybe I didn't say it quite right. It seems like Paul sort of had that experience, sent that with Titus. By the grace of God, most of the Corinthians responded well. So there's been just a lot of tension between Paul and the Corinthians that lies behind this letter. And so as a result, what he's been doing in chapters 3, 4, and 5 of 2 Corinthians is explaining his ministry. And not just really defending his ministry per se, um, so much as explaining why does it look the way it does? Why does it look so inglorious and dishonorable and so lowly, right? And and in some regards, chapter 5, verse 21 is sort of like the culmination of that explanation. And so this whole section is about his ministry. Well, recognizing that then, if we read verse 21 where he's just talked about being an ambassador for Jesus, God appealing to people through him. Now we read verse 21, and this is what he says. He says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. In context, the most immediate reference for our is we, Paul, as ambassadors for Jesus, Paul and his team. So he made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin on Paul and his team's behalf so that we, Paul and his team, might become the righteousness of God in him. In context, the we and the our is Paul and his team. In fact, most often in chapters 1 through 7 of 2 Corinthians, it's we and our is Paul and his ministry team. Occasionally it's not, but most of the time it is. And here in this verse, it clearly is in view of what he just said in verse 20. So he's talking about something regarding he and his team's ministry. Well, in order to sort that out, what we need to do is we need to first understand what he means by righteousness of God. Paul uses this phrase in a variety of places in his uh, letters, not the least of which is Romans chapters 1 through 3. And what we learn in Romans 1 through 3, with its Old Testament background, is that the phrase righteousness of God does not exactly refer to the the Reformation idea of righteousness being imputed to somebody. That's the old Reformation idea that this idea of imputed righteousness, that uh, Jesus' righteousness is imputed to our account so that we now can be deemed righteous. Certainly we are deemed righteous in Christ, right? Certainly we are credited with righteousness, Romans chapter 4, and some of those ideas. Uh, it's just not, that's not what the phrase righteousness of God refers to. In fact, the phrase God's righteousness 
and even the shorthand version of it, his righteousness is used all over the Psalms. It shows up at places in the prophets. This is the origin of the phrase that Paul used. In those contexts, in the Psalms and in the prophets, what did righteousness of God refer to? Well, a, a simple summary of it there in the Psalms is it refers to God's saving justice, where God acts in accordance with his faithfulness to his promises to Israel, his faithfulness to his covenant to Israel. And in keeping with that covenant and his covenant promises, God acts to deliver his people, to save them, to bring justice to them and save them and and deliver them from the wicked. So God's righteousness is God's saving justice on behalf of his people and his punishment of and dealing with wrongdoers and the wicked. That's how it's used all over the Psalms. So we have to read it that way in view of Paul when he says it. So what he's saying here then in 2 Corinthians 5.21 is that, um, that he and his team become in Christ as Christ's ambassadors, as the official, uh, official um, representatives, the ones who embody Christ and his message and his mission and his authority to the world, they become the very righteousness of God. They are like the living, breathing, present embodiment of God's uh, salvation and his saving message and his saving justice in the world. That's what he means when he says that here in verse 21. And so one of the effects of Jesus um, taking his taking sin upon himself and bringing God's saving justice into the world through the cross, that's what's explained in Romans 1 through 3, one of the effects of that was that he now takes his, his people, particularly in this case, Paul as an apostle and his team, and sends them into the world to embody that very same saving justice, that same approach, that same style, that same mission, that same message of bringing God's justice, his rescuing, saving justice to the world. And Paul says that's what we do. And he's been developing that theme really since the end of chapter 2 here in 2 Corinthians. Well, what does that look like for Paul? Well, since this is the culmination of his explanation of that in a lot of ways, you have to go back and look at what he says, for example, in chapter 4. Why does Paul's ministry look so lowly and weak and inglorious? Because he's embodying the saving justice of God that was demonstrated in Jesus as he went and hung on the cross. Look at Jesus. How did Jesus bring God's saving justice into the world? Through the cross and through the death, burial, and resurrection. And so back in chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians, Paul says that, describing again his ministry, we have this treasure in earthen containers so that the extraordinary greatness of the power will, will be of God and not from ourselves. And then he lists off, the weaknesses. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We're confused and perplexed, but we don't despair. We're persecuted, but guess what? We're not forsaken and abandoned. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. Always carrying around in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. For we, Paul and his team, who live are constantly being handed over to death for the sake of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our mortal bodies. So death, he says, works in us, but life in you. That is what he's getting at. That, this is how he embodies the saving justice of God, God's very own righteousness. How does Paul and his team become the righteousness of God? By living a cross-shaped life. 
by carrying out a cross-shaped ministry, by uh, carrying around in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life, the resurrection life of Jesus may also be revealed in their body. That's the context that leads up to this grand statement in 521. And so this isn't just a generic statement about the great exchange on the cross. What this is, is a statement about Christ calls people to himself, and then he commissions them and sends them out in the world, in this case specifically Paul and his team, so that they can be the, the very living, breathing presence of the saving righteousness of God in the world. That's a deep and profound message for us to reflect on and for us to think about. Now, we're not Paul. We're not an apostle. We're not an ambassador of Jesus in the same sense that Paul was, right? He saw the resurrected Jesus. He was specifically called as an apostle and commissioned in that way. We're not, you know, we don't have the same authority and the same, uh, you know, privileges that the apostle Paul had. But we are representatives of Jesus. And Paul later in this letter of 2 Corinthians says, imitate me as I imitate Christ, like as I embody the cross and the resurrection life of Jesus, well, imitate me, do the same thing. And so we still are ambassadors of Jesus, maybe in a lower and a lesser sense, yes, than Paul was, but we still represent him in the world. So what would it look like for us to actually embody that saving righteousness of God, that self-giving, self-sacrificial, pouring out of ourselves, lowering ourselves so that we can bring God's saving justice into the world, so that those uh, who might know God can be reconciled to him. That's really at the heart of what's going on here in 2 Corinthians 5.21. If we're going to apply this text to us in the most full and contextually uh, sensitive way, it's not just that we thank God that we're saved, that we thank God that Jesus took on sin and delivered us from it. It's not just that. It is that, but it's more than that. It's more that, and we're supposed to become in the world a very embodiment of the righteousness of God. What does that look like? Well, it's going to look like we're always caring about in our body the dying of Jesus so that somehow the life of Jesus might be made in in us. And that's going to take humility. It's going to take courage. It's going to take discernment and prayer to try to sort out, God, what would it look like in my family? What would it look like in with my friends and in my social world? What would it look like in my church family? What would it look like in my extended family? What would it look like in my neighborhood, my school, on the job to be a living, breathing embodiment of the saving righteousness of God, that God who is so faithful to his promises, would send his son into the world to lay down his life so that the world could be saved through him. How could I get on board with that? And how could I carry out my life that way so that I, like Paul, might become the righteousness of God in Christ? That's the message, ultimately, of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Hey, thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Bible in Life podcast. Uh, thanks to each and every one of you who makes this ministry possible, both the Bible in Life podcast, the listener's commentary, and this whole online ministry. It is made possible because of the generosity of folks just like you. And so if you're one of those team members who supports this ministry, 
May God bless you for it. Thanks a ton for it. Uh, the impact this ministry is having is possible because of your generosity. And if you have been one of those people impacted by it and you want to join the team of supporters, you can go to the link down in the notes below and uh, click the link that says uh, give and you can set up a recurring or one-time donation. All donations are received in partnership with World Family Mission. Your generosity is having an impact all around the world. So thanks a ton for your support. God bless. God bless.